Hi, and welcome to Strutt and Parker's Be Inspired podcast series in association with Country Life magazine. I'm James Fisher, the property and news editor at Country Life, and I'm going to be your host throughout this six-part series. Some of you may have joined Strutt and Parker to listen to their webinars during lockdown, and more recently, the series addressed a variety of topics from community trends to the future living generation, the market and the economy to the physical and virtual worlds all with the aim of supporting people to make better informed decisions around their next move. This podcast is an evolution of those webinars. Each week, we'll take a look at the hottest new trend or topic in the market. Today, we're probably talking about the hottest trend of them all, which is town versus country. It's still a hot topic in the press, and it's a debate with many viewpoints. And obviously, we'll be sharing expert views from Kate Eels, Head of Regional Residential Agency. Hi, James. Great to be here. Hi, Kate. We'll have Louis Harding, Head of London Residential Agency. Hi, James. Thanks for having us. And it's, it's good to have such a pro in charge of this. Thank you very much. And Vanessa Hale, Head of Insights and Residential Research. Hi, James. Delighted to be here. Hi, Vanessa. Right. So as the Head of Residential Research and Insights, we want facts, we want opinions, we want statistics. So can you tell us, Vanessa, what's been happening with residential property during the last few months? Oh goodness, how do I how do I begin? Well, I think it's probably worth going back to the the beginning of the year. You know, really we had everybody was talking about the Boris bounce January and February were crazy busy. Um we had just started to see I suppose an element of of pressure on pricing and that it was starting to slowly tick up and then I think the 23rd of March will probably be a day that will uh, not be forgotten in the definitely in the short term. We we all went into lockdown and it was, you know, it it really created a huge pause in the market and for for nearly 3 months the the housing market for for the entire UK was pretty much non-existent of course we from a Strutton Parker perspective were really quite excited we had a lot of virtual viewings taking place but the the physical aspect of moving house really became quite difficult which really overall meant that for 2020 we're going to see you know 25% of transactions that we normally would have seen in our volumes not take place which has been interesting from a pricing standpoint and I can come on to that in a bit but I think the other element of it is that the UK government throughout this entire period has really they have announced massive amounts of measures which had direct impacts to the housing market. So we thought we saw things like mortgage payment holidays being announced. We had the moratorium on rental evictions. And then we had all of the property transfer tax freezes. So the SDLT and the LBTT all had different measures put in place, but that, that was all helping to, I suppose, stoke the fire for activity to continue when we were able to resume levels of normal activity. So the pent-up demand that we all saw, I think, when we were in proper lockdown, I think lots of people really reevaluated their housing. And I, you know, I can only imagine those that were in perhaps more uncomfortable positions and had kids at home and trying to do day jobs and all of that really struck a lot of people quite deeply going, my home might not be well suited for this. So I think it, it really kind of almost added another layer of demand and is, to be honest, something that we really hadn't, I think, fully appreciated or expected as an outcome from leaving lockdown. Fantastic. Going to sort of Kate and Louis, you know, now that the sort of the, the landscape of 
town versus country people aren't having to sort of commute in so much in theory we've obviously seen a lot of it in the press what do you think is the you know how's that affected your sort of areas of expertise why don't we start with you louis and looking at london yeah i think as you said at the start it's a debate that certainly seems to have caught the imagination of the press if no one else because it's filled a lot of column inches and i think probably one of the first observations that i would raise is the fact that although the press may lead you to believe something different i don't think it's necessarily a scenario of winners or losers or the haves and have nots because we've actually seen demand across the entire business since coming out of lockdown far outstrip even our most optimistic expectations but i think we can definitely see from the numbers and kate will talk about it shortly that the demand in the regions is greater But when I look at our demand numbers in London year on year, they are tracking at a very similar level, despite the fact that we were unable to conduct any business for nearly 20, 25% of the year. And there's a lot of research that's starting to come through. Rightmove quoted recently that the numbers that they're seeing would suggest that it's turned into a trend rather than a short-term shift. I personally think it's a bit early to be making uh, assumptions like that, particularly when you see other reports actually saying quite the opposite. So what we're seeing on a ground level, and, and we're relatively small in London, we've only got seven offices and six of them are in the borough of Kensington and Chelsea. So it's quite concentrated, but we're certainly seeing that the demand is very comparable to this time last year. And that is not taking into account the fact we lost nearly 20% of the year. Fantastic. And so, Kate, what, what, what have you been seeing in the country market? Well, I think the country market is where it, it's much more defined, this change in demand. And lots of our regional offices are based in market towns or, or cities. But it's very clear that the majority of the interest at the moment continues to be in that in the surrounding villages and countryside. And in our last webinar series, we polled our audience and 74% of that audience wanted to live in the country. Our Oxford office is a really good example of an office that does a lot of business in the city of Oxford and year on year has seen a 100% increase in buyers. And, and historically, many of those buyers would have wanted to live in the city centre. There's lots of good schools in the city centre and prices in Oxford city centre reflect that demand. However, since we've come out of lockdown, the majority of that demand is coming for the areas around the Oxford office, the pretty places in the Cotswolds. And our other strongest performing offices are those in what I would call pretty parts of the UK. Our Lewis office, for example, that covers a wide area, including the South Downs, our extra office, the countryside around there and the seaside um, towns around Devon. And, and Louis mentioned the recent right move research, and that this really backs this up. They show that searches have doubled for homes in nine small towns and villages with populations less than 11,000. Seaside results seeing the biggest rise in sales, but also those small villages and market towns, which have proved popular. For example, Bruton in Somerset, they say that 128% up on searches and, and one that we've seen, Chipping Camden in the Cotswolds. So you really can see that kind of demand changing. And I think the most important reason for that is not really this kind of pull out of towns, but it's it's about space. We've 
run a lot of polls and actually a poll that we did on a wider scale showed that 52% of people wanted to move for a garden or outside space, 38% for bigger living space and a quarter of those polled were looking for extra room, be that an extra bedroom or home office. So it's really more this drive for extra space. A sort of more brick for your buck kind of situation you would say. Well, Vanessa, I'm going to now ask you the impossible question, especially this year, which is looking at trends. Can you predict the future? You know, does your sort of does your research kind of back up what Kate and Louis have been saying there? Bits and pieces, not going to lie. I think, you know, we know that technology was something that we'd been tracking for quite a long time. And I think the the impact of being you know forced to work from home for a large majority of individuals really meant, you know, I think the influence of tech is for the, is here for the long haul. And I think that's going to continue to alter our lifestyle as we've seen. So I think the uh, achievement of wanting to kind of maybe have a bigger home, more space is also making sure that you're connected. And I think that's probably a real critical piece. You know, we, we've seen massive impact to our education system from kind of the tiny tots all the way through to the university. And I think we're going to see some big structural changes around that. And as I mentioned, though, you know, the way that we're working, I think there is a certain group of individuals who are in professions in which they will have more flexibility on how they work and how often they may be in a office setting, which will allow for them to perhaps move further afield. But I think it's also important to recognize that that's not that's not an applicable work style for everyone, that there's still a lot of people who will be, you know, needing to be close to their office location or their place of employment because they will be expected to be there five days a week or seven evenings. And that will make a difference to some people's housing aspirations. We have do an annual survey on people's aspirations for housing. And we still had 29% of our respondents, and this is across the entire UK, saying they would still desire to be in a big city. Now, when you break that number down, it starts to vary depending on kind of those age groups. And as you get kind of over the, the 40 plus category, that number starts to drop down. But that aligns possibly to financial affordability as well as professional aspirations and careers. So I think I think there's a there's an element of what we've always known, which is, you know, as you go through life stages, your needs for housing change. I think what we're seeing now is that those needs for housing changes have been probably accelerated in a lot of uh, different groups of individuals. Fantastic. And do we think that it's sort of going back to Kate's point about towns within the countryside I think the argument is often framed as a sort of London versus the countryside but do we think we might be seeing people just sort of move whether it's further north east west sort of is it a a north versus south divide any of you would want to take that question on I think it's probably still a little bit too early to tell because so much is going to depend on what new working patterns will come out of what we've just currently been through And I don't know many, if any, businesses that have made long-term decisions in terms of where their working force will work in the long term. And I know some businesses have certainly been planning into 2021, but I'm not sure if there are many that have actually said to their staff, 
from here on in, you only need to come into the office two days a week or three days a week or whatever it may be. And I, and I think if people's commuting patterns changes from, I don't know, five days to two or three days, then yes, absolutely, they might go longer distances. But, but I, I think that's yet to come out of the wash. I think slightly differently to Louis here. I think of course you would, Kate. You're right, and companies haven't committed one way or another. But I think what's happened over the course of the last few months is that people have proved they can work from home. So therefore, going back to an office five days a week is probably not going to be a reality because they know they don't need to. And output hasn't changed as a result of that. So to go back to your original question, James, on the North-South divide, I think it's, it is early days only because the North has been slower to emerge from lockdown, physically so in Scotland, because it was a few months behind the UK in the ability to do viewings, to transact. But we are seeing record levels of activities in some of our Northern offices, Harrogate, for example. And I think this whole new commute trend that Louis thinks is a little bit early to call, it's we are definitely seeing people that would have moved perhaps to commute traditional commute about places that are perhaps moving a little bit further away, perhaps back to where they grew up, where families are, and are contemplating commuting a longer commute for two or three days a week, and are kind of offsetting that with the ability to live closer to family and get back to their roots. I would certainly consider as a sort of young person moving somewhere a bit further away and getting a bit more bang for my buck if I only had to come into town maybe two or three days a week. But you know, I think, like you pointed out, a lot of my friends are saying, you know, oh, I imagine when we go back into the office, it's only going to be two or three days a week. But none of them, and including myself, have actually heard that, you know, said as a concrete thing. I think businesses really have to sort of look at what kind of, you know, because they've got these obviously massive spaces that they're either renting or they've purchased. I don't think they're going to want them empty five days a week, are they? I mean, obviously, this is all an assumption of a post-COVID world. But, you know, it's it's that's an interesting point as well that I don't think people are necessarily considering. I guess my next point is, and this is again a question more because I am a younger person who dreams one day of living in the countryside, but not necessarily at this second, is looking at the sort of rental market. I saw an interesting an interesting nib today in my inbox about how footballers are currently having a real problem in the southwest and the south of England finding places to live because footballers, when they sign for new clubs, love to rent a house, especially at the start of their contract. But they can't find anywhere in the sort of home counties to rent because there just aren't any properties. So do you see that as a sort of a case of more people are renting properties because they want to sort of dip their toe in the countryside? Or is it more a case of with the current uptick in popularity of the countryside more people are selling to get the price they want rather than letting their homes yeah I think it's both James I think lettings generally has seen huge levels of activities this year back in March when I don't know whether you remember but there was a rumor that that London may go into lockdown before any other part of the country and we saw as a direct result of that an enormous demand for people that wanted to short let family houses outside of London and and actually the activity has continued so those people possibly went on and short let in the countryside but but what we've seen is since the housing market's been reopened the lettings market is hotted up equally the main difference is exactly as you've said the stock levels so there the stock levels on the letting side outside of of london has always been quite tight and i think that's been exacerbated this year by the increase in demand and that is people that were letting out their property because they couldn't sell it previously and now they've sold it so that's 
that's made that supply dried up but also those people that have moved out of cities and are renting before they buy because it's quite a difficult shout to suddenly say you've lived in southwest london for a long long time to suddenly sell your property and decide immediately where you want to live in the regions. So we've definitely seen people letting family houses and that's the stock shortage. So those footballers, we love to rent to them, but, but you know, <laughs> they have nice budgets. Um, but the, the stock just isn't there. And and what that has meant is that the prices have gone up in the prices for rentals outside of London. Definitely. James, I think your second point on that question is also very relevant. I think we've got to remember that we've had a pretty sticky market for the last three, three and a half years because of the ongoing Brexit negotiations. And what that caused over that time were a lot of accidental landlords, people that wanted to move on with their life, but the market wasn't great. And they simply weren't prepared to take what the market would have delivered at that time. And the market has been incredibly buoyant and hot over the last six or seven months since coming out of lockdown. And I think a lot of those accidental landlords would have seen that as an opportunity to get to get a very good price. And in a lot of cases, they have. So it, it probably has been a bit of a perfect storm of an increase in demand because of the, the, the current crisis and a reduction in stock levels because of those accidental landlords thinking, great, finally, I can get the price that I need to achieve to, to make it worthwhile selling. Well, I mean, naturally, we all have the footballers who can't find somewhere to live, you know, in our thoughts. You know, they must be suffering a lot at this time. Totally. I, I, I hope the uh, six-figure salaries per week will, will soften the blow. I'm sure they will. I'm just going to pick up on your point on price there, Louis, because I think, I think it's a very interesting one. From what I've seen, we're seeing, you know, a really, as you say, buoyant market with prices going up since the market reopened. What, what are our sort of, and again, I'm going to ask you all the impossible question here. What do we think is going to happen in the next six months to a year to 18 months in terms of prices? And it's, it's always difficult not to just come across as the optimistic estate agent when talking about prices, because I, I want to try and keep a certain level of credibility with the people that are listening. Because if you're not involved in the property market, reports of uh, huge demand and prices rising at a rate that no one could have expected in their wildest dreams does feel and sound counterintuitive to what is happening in the wider economy and what is likely to happen over the next six months around growth and unemployment and final Brexit negotiations and the ongoing COVID crisis. And I think I'll sort of go back to the point I made before. I think what we've got to remember about the current situation is that unlike the credit crunch, for example, this has happened off the back of a very, very subdued market. Prices in prime central London are still circa 20% down on what they were in 2014. So people that in a lot of cases have had their life on hold now for maybe three or four years and this was just yet another delay. And I think probably personally for some people, it put into focus what is important in life. And certainly most of the people that we transact with in both London and the regions are purchasing for the medium to long term. And what none of the forecasters can agree on is what is likely to happen over the next six to nine months. But almost all agree that the medium to long term outlook it is actually very positive. And, and I think that is the mindset of buyers where they think, right, we've had our life on hold for a long time. We can see that actually prices are 
acceptable because we're coming out of a tricky market for three or four years. Will it go down in the next six, nine months? Maybe, maybe not. But I sort of don't really care because I'm going to be living in there for 10 years and I just want to get on with my life. And my, my view to sort of directly answer your question is that I don't think prices will do much over the next six to nine months, even in the face of very negative economic data. And the reason I say that is because I just simply do not think there is an appetite from sellers to accept anything less than what has already been a reduced expectation off the back of three or four years of quite a stagnant market. And I think they will all have confidence that if they just sit tight for six, nine months, then there will be a rosier outlook. So I actually think biggest impact will be on transaction volume. We actually had a forecast meeting yesterday. We have a quarterly forecast meeting. We have, uh, And my feeling is that what we've seen in the housing market isn't a result. It is a result of pent up demand. But this is more than this. This is we're seeing a behavioural shift as people reassess what they need out of their property, what they need out of their home, and how they prefer to live. And that is a result of, of what we've seen in, in lockdown. And they've reappraised how they live. And I think because of that, we did readjust our forecast yesterday, readjust them, Vanessa will give you the details, but we are now looking for the regional locations, price forecast of between naught and point and, and five. And now the stats. So I, th- I think I think um, both Louis and Kate captured a lot of the interesting, I suppose, consumer sentiment. You know, there there's major behavioral shifts that we, I think, collectively at least all acknowledge. You could say you would not expect, and I don't think at the beginning of this year, we would have thought the level of transactions would be as high as it's turned out to be. But I think what's we have to keep in mind is the UK PLC has done a massive amount of financial injection into our economy. We have a lot of pressure on where jobs sit. You know, the furlough scheme is going to be winding down and the chancellor announced through the the winter economic plan, recovery plan that, you know, the, this whole new plan of, of helping to keep people in jobs through through the end of this year and the beginning of next year. So I think, James, your question of what does the next six, nine months look like? Well, I think Louis brought up the the whole Brexit conversation. We we know that interest rates are going to remain low. We know that perhaps the the riskier mortgage products are a little bit more difficult to obtain and, and harder to come by. We ha- still have currently through the remainder of this year, we have the land transaction taxes all on their freezes during their different price points. So for us, the next six months, I think the best case scenario that we have for Prime Central London is 0% growth, which sounds slightly odd, but I think there's been, as Louis said, the last couple of years, not so great, but actually we have also had outstanding growth in particular properties, but that's not a collective of all properties. And so I think that the balance in the prime central London market is really, you know, best case scenario, we're looking at 0% for this year. The wider UK picture, the best case scenario is somewhere in that 0 to 5%. Now, I personally think that we're going to be closer to zero, but I think that is because as, as Kate kind of talked to the pretty places, the the positive pockets is again, that kind of aspiration of wanting to be in the best property and Louis's remarks of people have been sat 
potentially stagnant for the last couple of years and looking at it and going, I need to get out. This has really been the final push to get me to make that move. People are making these housing moves, though, with the long term plan of going to hold and live in this. And it's going to be their family home for the next 10, 20 years. In essence, they're going to pay a little bit, perhaps over the odds in the short term. But the whole collective UK, I think, is going to be closer to that zero percent. Well, pandemic is sort of, I mean, it's a new thing to think about now that people didn't necessarily think about before, isn't it? You know, you do want to have that 10-year plan because who knows when, and hopefully the answer is never, who knows when something like this might happen again. You don't want to be sort of stuck in that house that you don't really care for with, you know, without without the space. Um, I'm just thinking, you know, as as growing up as someone who uh, had a house in the countryside, well, my parents did. I don't have any houses. Theirs is very much a second home. You know, has, has, your, has any of your research and just from your experience in your respective offices, is this sort of demand that, uh, for the countryside houses that we're seeing, is that a sort of primary moving thing or is there still a lot of second home action sort of in the market? From, from London, and it will probably apply more to people in London then looking for that second home elsewhere somewhere maybe more rural I don't have data around it Mm. but but we certainly have anecdotal evidence of it people that perhaps pre-crisis had ambitions to make one more move in London to something bigger and I guess their forever London home and are actually now of the mindset of making that London home that they're currently in work now for the foreseeable releasing equity and using the money that they would have used to trade up to actually buy something in the country. So more a case of, frankly, just 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 splitting their week and splitting their time, particularly if it does turn out that working practices do change in the long term and they can work from home three or four days a week. It can give people a really, really nice balance. It's probably something that I'm not qualified to talk about, but you know that that can also though then have sort of long-term social ramifications in terms of property prices in villages or towns that are quite rural that suddenly are then impacted on an upward trajectory, which can impact traditionally local buyers that perhaps can't compete or properties that aren't occupied all of the time. I grew up or I, or I spent my first 14 years living in Solcombe and Kingsbridge, which is in South Devon. And this was in the 80s. And Solcombe in the 80s was a very, very different town to what it is today. The, the high street was very much sole traders, local businesses, everyone knew everyone. And you go to Solcombe today and it's almost unrecognisable in terms of the commercial space and the impact that it's had on house prices, obviously. In, and, and I still know a couple of people that sort of live in and around that region. And, and their ambitions of being able to buy where they grew up is now a distant memory because they, they frankly, or a distant dream rather, because they just frankly cannot compete with the impact that it's had on prices. So whatever trends or impacts come off the back of this, there will always inevitably also be knock-on effects, some that are good and perhaps some that are not so good. We've seen a remarked increase in people looking for second homes. And I think partly that's due to the stamp duty reduction right now, if they buy, that they will benefit from. But also, I think people's holidays have changed this year. Lots of people have been forced to stay in the UK and do staycations. And I think whenever you holiday closer to home, you think, or whenever you don't, you know, whenever you holiday wherever, you think about, oh, perhaps we could buy a home here and and benefit from that. And I think Mm. 
the way that we have holidayed this year has put people's thinking in a new light. And I think that, that people are looking at second homes, yes, but also how they can use those in investment. And you know, anybody that's tried to find um, an Airbnb or a self-catering holiday home for half term that's coming up will know how difficult that is. And they will prove to be very good investments going forward. I think that it, it is a trend. And I think Louis makes a very good point as to how that may price out and has priced out the local market and I think you know we saw some properties pop end in some of these coastal locations that have been on the market for quite a long time and when I say a long time I, I say a couple of years which is not not uncommon and at the top end of the market in in coastal towns that the minute we came out of lockdown went under offer very quickly at very good prices and I think that is a trend that we will see as well the kind of top end of that market, the second home market, which traditionally people haven't wanted to invest huge amounts of money in in their second Mm. home, that is beginning to change as people can possibly use their second home on a more weekly basis rather than just for holidays as we kind of readjust how we work. Perhaps you can go to your weekend home on a Thursday evening instead of a Friday evening and and it becomes um, a more utilised property and therefore you possibly are benefiting more the local area in which it sits in terms of you investing and spending money in those villages and towns. It is though, isn't it? When when, when, when people talk about, oh, oh, we're having a staycation this year, we're going to Cornwall for two weeks. No, no, that's a holiday. That's, that's, that's patriotic duty these days. Obviously sort of looked at it a bit in the magazine because, you know, we, we worry as a sort of, as a magazine about, you know, the, the countryside, certain towns and villages becoming, you know, what we call sort of dormitories during the week, which, you know, they're sort of, if they're in the commuter belt, everyone gets up piles into the station and goes to London and then comes back in the evening. And obviously, so we think potentially if more people spend more time in the countryside, then that can have a positive impact on community life in certain parts of the countryside. The counter side of that, obviously, as well, is what we've been hearing from, you say, Louis, about, you know, your time in Seoul, these sort of communities that are now getting or risk or fear that they're going to be sort of full of whether it's people with second homes or people who don't really understand the community moving there and there's a potential for backlash there do you think that might have an effect on the sort of countryside market potentially down the line listen i i, th- I think potentially um, as you asked me that question i to remember newspaper reports as we were going into lockdown or coming out of lockdown i can't quite remember of some mm. villagers putting signs up saying don't come in basically <laughs> just don't you know, don't don't come and stay in our village that's very unlikely you know, english London or, yeah. or, or wherever you may be so yes i think i think that's always a danger um, i guess it's you know depends on your motivation for moving you know are, are you moving to ingrain yourself in the community and be a positive to living there and everything that comes with it or are you at someone that's just going to or, or driving on a Thursday evening and then leave again on a Sunday evening. I think, yeah, it, it very much depends on the motivation for doing so. I want to tag on to that because I think there's a there's another trend that we were picking up on before COVID, and it, it's been it's been a long term trend for the last couple of years. And it's a particular group of individuals we called them the Rusticarians, which was focusing on the kind of understanding of the entrepreneurialism, the environment, racing technology, and I think that as we talked about, perhaps working patterns changing, people's acknowledgement and I suppose awareness of environmental impacts. I don't know if you're going to see tons of people 
exiting on a Monday morning and not coming back to till Thursday night sort of scenario. Cause I think there's an acknowledgement that actually, you know, this could be a, a better work-life balance, but it's also a good opportunity for kids to get back to, to nature and understanding, you know, where their hamburger came from. Being connected, whether that's through the, the digital world or being able to say, you know, connected to, you know, the environment, I think there there's a small nuance that's different that we I think will be a longer term trend that we're gonna see more of as we as we kind of come mm. through this. So don't fully agree with perhaps it being seen as such a negative in the long term. I think what we've seen, and I think we've seen this very clearly when we were in lockdown, is this idea of community and how important it has become to people. People want to feel part of a community. And that's tied with this you know, movement out of potentially busy, anonymous cities. And I think people saw that in lockdown when people were, saw people getting involved, talking to neighbours that they perhaps had never talked to before, helping them when they were in lockdown, doing people shopping, everybody clapped outside their houses for the NHS on a Thursday. It's become, it's always been important to people, but I think it's become more important People want to feel connected to where they live and who li- who they live next door to. And that whole idea of the localism that's linked to that. So people want to support local businesses. And we've seen that during lockdown where restaurants couldn't trade anymore. And then, then they were selling food boxes, etc. And, and make your own restaurant at home. And, and, and people have got behind that and want to support. So they want to support. They want to shop local. They want to be part of the community. So I think it's kind of the opposite to Hmm. what the trend could be if everybody bought new second homes. I don't think I don't. That is something that is at the forefront of people's minds. I think people community is more important than ever. And drive for localism is becoming more and more important. Fantastic. Just to sort of go back to in talking about stamp duty and government policy, I think you mentioned that earlier, Vanessa. What do you know? What sort of impact do you believe that government policy is playing in terms of the of, of this divide, in terms of the countryside being more popular? Obviously, we've spoken at length about you know getting back in touch with nature and space, but also better time to buy buy a house right now, or a better time to move. Yes, it is. <laughs> if you can take full advantage, genuinely, you can save you know up to five hundred thousand pounds, regardless mm. if it's a your first time buying a home or or you're buying a second home or you're in buying investment property I, I mean financially you know I, I think longer term do we think that the stamp duty is going to be extended or 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 those sorts of things I think that's going to be a harder thing to say yes to so if you're in a position where you can take advantage of it I would be saying genuinely why why would you not it's interesting though because we've also seen a few instances in central London, in areas like Kensington and Chelsea, where I, I, I guess the, the older part of society are actually looking to sell over the next few months because they have fears over changes in government tax. And that there's almost a, a sense that we, we need to sell now, realise the equity and give to family or, or, or whatever they're able to do because of fears of what the government might do next year to try and fill some of the huge deficit that's being created. Louis, your point is is probably valid one, especially as that lots of yeah. rumours and discussions that that was going to be part of the autumn budget, which we know has has now been cancelled. So those that you know may have been fortunate to be in a position where 
their house has gained, you know, extraordinary amounts of equity by no fault of their own, other than the fact that they bought the home 30 or 40 years ago. It, it, you know, and they're in a position where they're reevaluating their housing decisions going forward anyway. It, it again makes sense to to be selling. Very good. And what do we? What sort of impact do we think stuff like downsizing to this whole stamp duty tax might have? You know, let's say. You know, just from personal experience, my parents are thinking of actually selling up their house in the countryside and moving to London full time just because they like it in London a bit more. And uh, does that sort of sort of unstick the market and get the whole sort of conveyor belt moving? Does that allow someone to move move up the ladder and then someone to follow up behind them? James, should you not be telling us about your parents' motivation to do the opposite to what some of the data is suggesting is happening? So what you know why 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 are your parents moving from the country to London? I mean it's music to my ears, obviously. But well, you've, I've blown my cover here. I'm actually a secret. <laughs> I'm a secret countryside to London agent. No, no, I guess you know, and it is actually. I'm glad you asked it. It is it is a good counterpoint because I think you know, as you say, we read everything we read in the papers is get out of the horrible cities and go and hug the deer and trees and yeah. you know live your life to its fullest. But my parents, I don't know. I guess they're of a certain age where they feel the opposite. You know, they like they like their nice restaurants they like their opera obviously when that's allowed and they like going on holiday from Heathrow and Gatwick and actually living in Suffolk two hours outside of London it's a beautiful house they've got with a beautiful garden that they love very much but you know they don't really want to drive another three hours once they land from their weekend trip in Venice they don't you know want to drive 45 minutes to the local pub to have a meal that isn't as good yeah. as one they could get a taxi five minutes to in London you know the Suffolk National Opera isn't really quite what it's cracked up to be so you know it's it's that trend for them that I think has always been what they've thought about once they've sort of retired actually and that is a real trend that is something Vanessa can talk to this but we are, we have seen that and and actually that that whole downsizing trend from the reverse of what we're talking about here we're seeing families moving out of cities but actually people that you know are your parents age my parents age that are moving back into cities is a definite trend and one that we'll continue to see I think James has sort of inadvertently raised a very, very important point in this whole discussion that the, the, the answer to this debate, and I think it's a debate that will continue for quite some time, it, it's simply not as binary as, yes, more people are moving from urban areas to the country, or no, they're not, because I think it depends so much on where someone is in their personal life. I think what this whole crisis would have done is speed up people's decision making who had ambitions to make that move at some point. So if I'm living in London and I know that I want to move to the country in, I don't know, three or four years time, I think it absolutely would have sped that up for those people and the process would have happened quicker because I think there'll be a mentality of what are we waiting for? Let's just get on with it. But I think also for other for other areas, I honestly don't think it would make any difference at all. You know, when, when I think of me at 22, 23 years old, leaving university, there is nothing in the world that could have stopped me going to live in London. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> and I think for James's parents' area of, area of society, I think it's probably quite similar because... I, I really look forward to getting my life back when my kids have moved out. I can't wait for that. And the thought of, you know, the thought of going and moving back into London mm. sounds sounds amazing to me. We, we're, we're selling 
the BBC Television Centre, very iconic in White, in White City, amazing development. The buyers have almost, almost exclusively fallen into two categories, either the, the young, cash-rich, time-poor, very successful individuals or couples, or the empty nesters, people like your parents, the kids are grown up, they've got a bigger house that they're ratting around in that they don't need anymore and they can go and buy a lovely top floor two bed two bath with a terrace and london's on their doorstep yeah and a sort of concierge to carry their delivery up the lovely. elevator for them perfect <laughs> yeah. happy days absolutely and let's not forget the cities aren't what they were six months ago they're they're not back to normal and we have short memories we've forgotten why we live in them And this is going to come back. This is a temporary thing. It's a temporary thing that we can only go out for supper with six people. And it will come back quickly. And then people will remember why they live in these thriving cities. And I'm, you know, I'm in two camps. I live in a city, but work in the countryside. Um, And the cities will, will find their feet again. And the moment they've lost their vibrancy, but that will come back. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, you know, which is, it's, I think there's, a, as you say, there's a certain perspective being lost when we can't actually appreciate the cities that we all moved to, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago, you know, in the same way that we were used to. I guess the sort of last question before we sort of wrap this up, and it's just more of a personal one, which is from personal experience of where you spent lockdown, what were, what were the things you appreciated about where you live, whether it was whether you spent it in London or the countryside or anywhere in between? Just from a sort of, you know, human level, what did that sort of make you feel about how the market is, you know, how this trend affects the market, so to speak? I'll go first because mine's all about space. I'm fortunate to live in London, but but in a house with space. I have two children that were homeschooling and I was working at the same time, as was my husband. The fact that we had somewhere that we could work and a different room to educate the children was the main thing for me. So it isn't surprising to me that people have reassessed what they want out of their home and and that space comes top. Very good. Danger of um, agreeing with Kate, which is something I don't like to do very often <laughs> I, I, in, in space. And, and, and I have to say that that is overwhelmingly the same for everyone that we've encountered, buyers and sellers, over the last six or seven months. And oddly, Kate and I live opposite personal and professional lives. She works in the country but lives in the city and I, I work in the city but I live in Oxfordshire and for me it was space and personally the ability to get up and bear with me but put on lycra and get on my bike and go cycling. It's going to sound really funny so I, I live in central London and I, I bought my new house two weeks before lockdown. There there was an element of, of space and having you know a bit of outdoor um, you know private base but actually the thing that I was amazed and astounded with and it, it talks to Kate's point of, of community is even with lockdown and social distancing how many of our neighbors we met and you know and and from the clapping on the Thursday night or, or going for your one hour of exercise and getting the the head nods on I've lived in this neighborhood for nearly 10 years and I feel more connected to my community and my neighbors probably in the last six months than I have in the past 10 years for me personally, I think that's the part that I take away from from this and how I, I see how people are looking at 
at life and, and where they want to be moving to and living? I think the, I think the big question on how long that will last for, though, and I, I don't want to sound like, you know, the miserable old grumpy cynic, but society has been through lots of crisis situations before where communities have come together and people have undoubtedly become closer to their neighbours, which is a great, great thing. But it doesn't always last that long. And and I think that will be quite an interesting thing to see whether the current push towards community and localism, buying on your doorstep rather than just going to the big brands and the big chains and everything else will, will be a long-term shift. Well, I think we have to be optimistic in this year, you know, after everything that's gone on, that actually there's sort of benefits of community living. And I was going to uh, agree with Vanessa, you know, there's benefits of community living are here to stay, especially in city. And maybe that's, you know, something the city has learned from the countryside. But yeah, it's certainly a case of where I've been. I've been in central London this whole time. And to go against the, the grain of considering I work for country life, you know, I've I totally agree. It's been it's been, you know, going jogging in Battersea Park yeah. and seeing the same people jogging around the same place and going to the shops and, and all sorts. It's been, you know, it's been heartening to actually have I don't know, for me personally, people around yeah. and a sort of sense of community that I never felt before. Right. Well, I think we should wrap it up there. Thank you all for listening at home and hopefully we'll see you next week. Take care. <laughs>